Good morning, Hope City Church. How we doing? All right. Listen, it's 11.30. You've had time to wake up. How y'all doing today? Come on, give it to me. I'm asking. I want to know. I want to know how you're doing, and I want you to answer me. So thank you guys so much for being here, and uh, I just want to say uh, happy summer. Happy summer to all of you all. I'm so glad that the season has changed and we have been able just to start celebrating things like 4th of July again. How awesome was 4th of July weekend last weekend? Here at the church, we had an opportunity just to hang out back and and shoot off fireworks and two things. People got together and we had a great time and no one got hurt. So let's go. And I don't know about you, but for me, a person that lives in the south end of Louisville, I can say that my neighbors are so excited about their freedom. Uh, yep. Uh, Dave Ramsey would question some of their investments, how, how excited they are about their freedom. And also that they're so excited about their freedom, they are continuing to celebrate it probably for another week or so. So if you're one of those people, man, celebrate, celebrate, enjoy. Summer is a time, a season for us to get together and celebrate and enjoy the good things of life. And it's my prayer that during this season of summer that you will take a moment, slow down, maybe go on vacation or or go to the lake house, or if you don't have one, invite yourself to someone else's lake house and, and just show up. And I mean, bring food and then say, I'm staying, but show up and hang out with them. And if that's not an option for you, man, just grab a cup of coffee or, or tea or something and sit down on your back porch or sit around a fire, uh, a fire pit in the evenings and just slow down the pace of life for a moment and just enjoy the blessings and freedoms that there are Uh, Here, living in America, and then also just this time of summer. See, the summer, it's a special moment, it's a special time. Earlier today, during uh, after after first service, we celebrated another special moment. We had uh, two ladies uh, celebrate uh, baptism. So we, uh, and listen, y'all weren't here, but we can still celebrate baptism. Uh, We had Alexis Graham. Uh, celebrate uh, committing her life to Jesus and being raised uh, from death to life. And we also had Ashley Ridge, just a sweetheart. My youngest daughter is like BFF. Uh, they were so excited for her baptism, y'all, that they practiced baptism all week long at summer camp. They're like, in Jesus' name. And so it was so amazing, so amazing. And it's so beautiful that here at Hope City Church, we're not just celebrating life together, but we're celebrating life change and life growth families, kids. Like my 10-year-old is just like, this is my best friend. She's following Jesus. I'm following Jesus. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing. Hey, if I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Joe. I am blessed to be one of the, one of the pastors here at the church. Uh, I am in charge of like connection and care. Uh, and so I would love to connect with you. I'll be out uh, in the lobby afterwards. Or if you're online, so many people. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. This isn't pastor math. Hundreds 150 people each week watching from like Texas, Florida, Georgia, uh, Lexington, all kinds of places. People join us each week. And so if you're watching online and you haven't met me, man, joe at realhopenow.com. Shoot me an email. Let's connect. And and that's what I want to do. I want to help be a part of the story that God is writing uh, in your life. And, And speaking of stories, we are spending the next four weeks talking about parables. See, there are 36 parables that Jesus used to convey uh, ideals or to convey teachings to people. And see, most of these short stories are under uh, 250 words. They're, They're not very long, but they are filled with a lot of wisdom. 
See, Jesus, he, he spoke in parables for, for many reasons. Two of them are, is that it was prophesied that our Messiah, our, our, our King, the person that redeems us back to God, he would speak in parables. In, in Psalm uh, 78, 2, it says, For I will speak to you in parables. And another reason is that he wanted us to use our minds. God gave us these beautiful minds, and he wanted us to use them. And so he uses stories so that we could put ourselves in the story. And that we could come to our own conclusions through these parables. Last week, Pastor Katie showed us the parable of the mustard seed. And that God, God uses eternal impact. And it starts with single moments. God uses the seeds that we sow so that faith can grow and so that God can be glorified. And so for the next couple weeks, we're going to continue our series um, that is called Moral of the Story. So if you're joining us, hey, we had one last week, today, and then in the next two weeks. And so you can find it on the Hope City Church app. You can find it on the podcast. And we would love for you to catch up and, and to stay along with us. So the other day, actually it's been a few weeks now, I, I got a, a phone call from one of our Hope Team members. Our Hope Team members are the team of volunteers that help us make church possible. And we have a team that's called our hospitality team. Well, one of the hospitality team members called me and said, Hey, Joe, uh, the oven is broke in the kitchen. See, part of my job is connection and care. Well, I like to also not connect and care for people, but also have to connect and care for the building. So she called and said, hey, Joe, the oven's broke. So I'm like, well, I'm going to connect with this oven and care for it. So, uh, so she's like, hey, the, the, there's a knob broke. And so when someone tells, I don't know about you, but I, as a man, when someone say, hey, they're the problem, I'm like vanilla ice, yo, I'll solve it. So here we go. That's what I decided to do. I was going to solve this problem and so I got my brain switched from like dad, father, husband, pastor mode to CSI meets HGTV. What's wrong? And I'm going to fix it. And so I started just digging and unscrewing things. You would think the first thing I would do would unplug it. But who doesn't like a little risk in their life? So I just kept going. It was live electricity and gas. And I was like, I'm just going to keep digging. And so I dug and dug and dug and I found the broken switch. And I was like, well, it's just the knob. We'll just buy a knob. No big deal. Problem solved. Lickety split. Problem was is the knob was broke off the switch. So I had to dig and dig a little more and a YouTube video, a Google search, a call to a very helpful guy at a repair company who wasn't really worried about making money, walked me through the whole process of what I needed to do, and also an Amazon order. I was able to order the parts that I needed, got in there, took it apart, put it back together. Also, I had help from uh, Peyton Mount. It's our uh, office admin. It's her little son. I needed him stud because he crawled into the oven. I mean, my man was like, like belt deep back there getting one of the parts, and we were able to fix it. So news bulletin, everyone, the oven is fixed. You can celebrate me. We, we love a victory. I don't know about you guys, but we all love a victory. I bet right now that people love having a victory in their life so much. You want wins. I bet if we pulled out everybody's phone right now, Sudoku, Word Search, Gym this, uh, Candy Crush that, and you're just like, points, sweet. You know, you're like, I've made all the victories. And okay, maybe it's just me that's got stuff on their phone that's playing games. I don't know. Or maybe you're old school and you like, you have a thousand piece puzzle at home and you're like, I just can't wait until I get that last one and we can see that uh, Thomas Kincaid, it's going to be beautiful. Or maybe you're, um, you're like a Lego person, but we want to have a problem. We want to, we want to solve it. Like you, you can't figure out your phone. So you just ask a random teenager and they fix it in no time. 
you have a DIY home improvement project and you call your dad or you call your uncle or your grandpa because they're handy. Or maybe you and your wife have a, a problem and you can't solve it. So she calls her mother. You call, she calls the mother-in-law because she has all the answers. And so maybe you have these different types of problem solvers in your life. We celebrate problem solvers. We, we don't like it when we have a problem and we can't come to a solution. So today, that's what we're going to be looking at. Today, we're going to be looking at when we have problems that we can't solve. What do we do? Who do we turn to? Today, we're going to be talking about Jesus and how he is our problem solver. Specifically, Jesus is going to talk about the root of the problem. The problem that he wants to address is that our inner purity. And how asking the wrong questions will never, never give us the, the right answers. See, we, we keep searching and figuring out why I, I keep losing my temper. I don't want to, but I do. We, we, we keep figuring, trying to figure out why do I get super aggressive and angry when I'm driving? Why is it when I feel lonely or depressed, I just eat more or I drink more? Or when you, when you feel like just super lonely and maybe you just find yourself swiping on an app looking for a hookup to make you feel better or you look for outfits and you're like man I just if I could find the perfect outfit I could look in the mirror and it would just make me feel beautiful if I if I could just find the right thing it would just cover up everything that makes me feel bad inside or maybe you look at your kids and you think man if you would just know how to behave I wouldn't have to get so mad all the time how often do you find yourself looking to how often do you find yourself looking in the wrong direction for the right answer. How often have you, have you fooled yourself when you think improving your outward circumstances will improve your inner self? If I could just, then I would. If I could just fix that, things would be better on the inside. If I could fix that, I would, I would have peace. If I could just fix that, everything would be better. See, I believe that most people, and including myself, even one point in my life, you come to a point where you've been looking in all the wrong places for the answers of your life. You feel this brokenness and you feel like you're ready to give up. And maybe you're here today and you, that's you. You decided to seek out religion. You decided to seek out rules. You decided to seek out something that's going to fix you. So you think if I could just follow these rules, my life would be better. I'm going to try Jesus. I'm going to go to church. He's going to clean everything up. I'm going to act right, and things are going to be better. But see, the problem with rules are, or instructions, is you have two options. You follow them, or you don't. And then what happens? When you fail again, you miss the mark. You don't meet the rules. See, but that's not what Jesus wants us to do. Jesus isn't asking us to follow rules. What he's doing is having us ask the right questions that will lead us to the life that we want. See, the big ideal today is, is that your answers you're looking for start by asking the right question. The answers that you are looking for start by answering the right question. And so we are going to turn to the Bible, and we're going to read a story out of the book of Matthew in chapter 15. I want to give a little plug before I start and just talk about the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew was written so that it would fulfill the law, that people would believe that Jesus was the answer that they were looking for. 
The Jewish people were like, man, we have been searching forever for our Messiah. Well, the book of Matthew answers those questions and gives us the point where we can believe that he is the Messiah. And so in chapter 14 and 15, we read about Jesus. He's way out in the desert. He's past, he's not nowhere near any city. Like the closest city is Jerusalem, but like it's not even a town. Like it's just a a gathering of people. And he's out there and and he's teaching in parables. He fed 5,000 people. At this time of his life, his cousin, John the Baptist, was, was, was murdered uh, by King Herod. But he also walks on water. He, he heals the sick. He makes the blind see. He heals the cripple. He's casting out demons. And later in 15, he actually feeds another 4,000 people. The book of Matthew is very action-packed. And I believe if you would take some time to read the stories in Matthew, like you would see the life of Jesus. And so at the beginning of chapter 15, Jesus and some Pharisees, Pharisees are the religious teachers of the law. They're like the religious police. They get into this very public argument, this debate about religious practices. The Pharisees question Jesus and his followers and say, hey, we see you and you're not following the rules. You're not washing your hands before you eat. And see, at this time, the Pharisees were not concerned about hygiene, but they were considered about religious rituals. See, the law requires that priests wash their hands and their feet so that they would become spiritually clean. This was their answer for their, for their, for their impurity. This was their answer for being unclean. See, there's this book. It's called the Mishnah. And the Mishnah is the dictation of oral history of these guys. They, they wrote all these traditions down that talked about all the things that God had given them to help them be priests, to help them make themselves clean. It was all these rituals. And in the Mishnah, the section on washing of hands is 4,000 words long. Just to wash your hands. I can't get my kids to use hand sanitizer. I, you know, the CDC tells us to clean our hands. It's happy birthday to in the between and all that. You know why these guys are mad at Jesus? 4,000 rules. 4,000 words. They followed these rules. And you're like, whoa, you say you're, follow, you're, you're a Jew? Like you're leading people? Why are you washing your hands? Super religious. Super judgmental. Super outwardly focused on what they were doing. But that's not what Jesus is doing. Jesus knows that these, ritual, these, these religious practices will never make him clean. That he will always remain unclean. Washing your hands will never wash it away. Following the rules will never remove it. And so in chapter 15, uh, verse 10, I'm going to read you some of Jesus' words. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come in here. Listen, he said, and try to understand. This is an invitation from Jesus right here for us to listen and to open our minds and try to understand what he's telling us. It is not what goes in your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. And then the disciples came and asked, do you realize that you just offended the Pharisees by what you said? And Jesus replied, not every, pl- every plant not planted by my heavenly father will be uprooted. So ignore them. I love Jesus right here. I love it. Religious people, you see what you're doing? Look what you did. Just point out all his, all, the, all his mistakes and not following the rules. He's like, what? Psh, ignore them. They ain't, ain't, ain't got nothing to do with us. Like, what they're doing is not true religion. What they're doing is not pleasing to my Father. Just ignore them. I love that where he says, not every plant planted by my heavenly Father. 
Like, it will be uprooted. Yoga, Hindu, spiritualism, all these religions, whatever, you know, mindfulness, whatever you want to call it, those are not from God. And one day those things will be uprooted. All these things that we search out until it's a true relationship with Christ. Like, that is what we believe as Christians is the answer. And Jesus tells us, man, you can try whatever you want, but if it ain't from God, it's not going to last. So let's keep going. There are blind gods leading the blind. And if one blind person leads another, they will fall into the ditch. And then Peter and Jesus, Peter says to Jesus, explain to us the parable that you said that that people aren't defiled by what they eat. (laughs) Don't you understand, Jesus asked. I love Jesus. Don't you understand? Well, you've been walking with me for how long? And I got to tell you this again. But you know what Jesus does? Then he answers him. I don't think Jesus is scared by our, our, our questions. I don't think Jesus is ever concerned how many times we have to ask him the same thing over and over. Anything that passes through your stomach goes into the sewer, but the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. From the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. See, Peter is just like us. We're just trying to figure it out. Jesus, what is it? Jesus, tell me. What am I doing? What am I doing? Can you tell me again? I didn't understand it. Tell me again. Tell me again. And he doesn't get frustrated. He doesn't get mad. He just wants to have a conversation with you. See, the, the wrong things will never, will never give us the right result. The wrong things will never give us the right result. They're just trying to, to figure it out. And how often as Christians are we just like the Pharisees? We're just trying to figure it out. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to be just like them. We're going to make right and wrong rules. We're going to try to live pure lives by our standards so we can help give ourselves guardrails and figure it out. You know, it's okay to go to Churchill Downs because I'm from Kentucky. But if you go to the boat, woo, you're a gambler. I don't know about all that. I like when people say the boat too, like the boat, like, ooh, ooh. Like there's just this sin cannon just coming for you. It's like, I'm just fighting morality. You're like, the boat, like, settle down. Like, what's the difference? But that's what people do. They, no, no, this, that, this, that. You, you can have a glass of wine, but, but just not too much. You can go to Hoops because it's a restaurant. But if I see you in a bar, whoa, how, whoa, what's going on there? You know, the best one I have that I think of is like, like you can watch like a steamy movie on Netflix as long as they, no, not too much. Like when I was a kid growing up, we had HBO, Showtime, and Cinemax. Y'all remember the nickname for Cinemax? Come on, <laughs> Skinemax. That's right. My parents had a rule for these TV shows. We had like the, we were premium packers. We were, we were the middle of the middle class right there, boys. But let me tell you, it was so great because my parents had rules for each one of those channels. We can have them in the house, but once Fraggle Rock goes off, HBO's done. You can't, you can't turn it on no more. And if it's like quarter after four, Cinemax, you better, no, nah, once the news is on, you ain't turning to that channel. But that's how we are. Like we have these rules and it's not addressing the real issue. The other night, I was hanging out with some friends, and, and we were talking, and a guy that I, I barely know, like, I, I, honestly, I didn't remember his name. I was like, it starts with an S. Hey, bud, what's going on, friend? And uh, I was like, how you doing, man? He's like, oh, I've just been working hard, working with my tools, you know, doing some stuff at my friend's house, laying some floor. I was like, how's that going? He's like, man, you know, and then the other day, the effing tool. I was like, okay. And then his buddy's like, whoa, we're at church. Joe's a pastor. Watch your mouth. I'm like, whoa, it doesn't matter. That's religious. My man's heart, it's where it's at. I would rather you show me who you really are than, as Jesus says, as a whitewashed tomb. Don't put on a curtain. If you want to drop an F-bomb, drop an F-bomb. 
Like my man in the, that, that Christmas story when he hits the, the thing and he's like, you know, it's like, it's whatever. Because here's the thing, that, that, that is the true heart. And that's what Jesus wants us to get to. He wants us to get to the true heart. If you walk around and say, everything's okay, I'm gonna believe you. But if everything's not okay, how will we know? How will we know? See, when we ask the wrong questions, if I blank, is that okay? Am I still saved? Is that, is, is that fine? Is that, is that cool? Will God still love me after I? See, Jesus isn't worried about the rules you're following. His care, his concern, his love for you is much deeper than that. The answer you're looking for starts with the right question. See, when we, when we try to live with a rule book, a scorecard, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, we become, we become Pharisees keeping score of right, wrong, who's in, who's out, who's winning, who's losing. And see, when you're living trying to meet these religious standards, you're going to constantly, constantly fall short. And when you fall short, it's going to constantly challenge the way you think about yourself. And ultimately what it's going to do is it's going to challenge the way you think God sees you. Oh, man, God's mad at me today. Man, I messed up. I can't. You know what God sees me like? He saw me. God knew. See, I don't believe that for us. And I don't believe that if we ask the questions that Jesus would answer that way. I believe today what Jesus would ask us is, how's your heart? How's your heart in all of this? Not what you say not what you do, not how you're feeling, but how is your heart? Pastor Katie talked about the mustard seed last week. Today I'm going to talk about some branches, but what I want to tell you is this, that we want to get to the root of the issue. What is the core? What is the real root issue? The Bible says that it is at our heart that is the issue. The heart is a frequent topic in the Bible. In fact, it's used over 800 times to describe what is inside of us. And why is that important? It's because it's who we are. It's the center of ourself. It's our core. It's, it's, the real, it's the real you. It's where your choices, your feelings, your decisions, your intentions and motives are made. I believe when we allow God to ask us how our heart is, Joe, how's your heart? Jesus isn't questioning me, but he's questioning how is my abiding in him or how am I following him going? He just wants to know. He just wants to ask me, hey, it's not in a judgmental way, but he wants to know. And when we ask ourselves, how is our heart? We can look at Proverbs 27, 19, and it says this. As the face is reflected in water, so the heart reflects the real person. See, our choices, our feelings, decisions, intentions, and motives, our goal as Christians is for them to be shaped in the ways of Jesus. Today you may say, but Joe, I don't know the condition of my heart. I, I don't even know why I do what I do. You're not alone. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans 7, 15. I don't even understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Why do I keep doing what I'm doing? Why am I living the way that I'm living? See, the Bible teaches us that every person, and they use the, in the Bible it uses the word corrupt, we're all corrupted. Because of the fall of Adam in, in Genesis 3, it says that a man's heart is prone to wander or sin. We disobey God. Adam choosing his own way is what forced him out of the presence of God. See, one sin is enough to separate us from God 
from eternity. So know when you're struggling and know when you don't understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. Know that it's not because of, it's not uncommon for any person. See, you and I, we, we're, we're sinners not because we sin, but we sin because we were born this way. Because of the curse that is on Adam, every single person struggles internally with what's going on in our heart. Jeremiah, the mighty prophet, in 17.9 says this, that the heart is deceitful above all, all else and desperately wicked. Who can know it? If the prophet Jeremiah is asking, who can know what's going on with my heart? And if the apostle Paul can say, I don't even understand myself. If today you're in the room or watching online and you question your own heart, you're not, you're not alone. For a long time, I always thought that my life was a byproduct of bad decisions and poor circumstances. But little did I know that it was my misguided heart that was leading me in a direction that I did not want to go. A.W. Tozer puts it this way, A neglected heart will soon be overrun with worldly thoughts. A neglected heart will soon be moral chaos. Will become a moral chaos. So what is the right question to ask? What is it if we, if, if we keep at, if the answers that we're looking for start with asking the right question? What is the right question? And I believe that question is, is how's your heart? And if you're going to start looking for the right answers, it starts in the right place. And so in Proverbs 4.23, this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time together and, and trying to answer this question of how our heart is and what do we do about our heart, is that we are to guard our heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And because we're in a series called Moral of the Story, I believe the best way that I could best describe what guarding our heart looks like is to tell you another story. And so I'm going to read a section out of a book. It's a story that I've read probably six, eight months ago. And since then, I've read it many, many times because it really gets down to the root of what guarding your heart looks like. And let me read it to us. There once was a town in the high Alps that straddled the banks of a beautiful stream. The stream was, spread, uh, was fed by a spring. And they were as old as the earth and as deep as the sea. The water was clear like crystal. Children laughed and played beside it. Swans and geese swam in it. They could see the rocks and the sand and the rainbow trout that swam at the bottom of the streams. High on the hill, far behind anyone's sight, lived an old man who served as the keepers of the springs. He had been hired so long ago that no one even remembered a time when he wasn't there. He would travel from one spring to a hill to remove branches and fallen leaves and debris that might pollute the water, but his work was unseen. One year, the town council decided they had better things to do with their money. No one supervised the old man anyway. The roads needed to be repaired. Taxes needed to be collected. Services needed to be offered. Money and money given to an unseen stream cleaner had become a luxury that they could no longer afford. So the old man left his post high in the mountains, and the springs went unattended. Twigs and branches, and worst, muddied the liquid flow. Mud and silt compacted the creek beds. Farm waste turned the streams into stagnant bogs. But see, for a time, no one in the village noticed. But after a while, the water was not the same. It began to look brackish. The swans flew away to live somewhere else. The water was no longer crisp, and the scent drew... That, and the, The water was no longer crisp. That drew the children to play by it. Some people in the town began to grow ill. All noticed the loss of the sparkling beauty and the flow between the banks and the streams that fed the town. The life of the village depended on the stream. 
The life of the stream depended on the keeper. See, the city council reconvened, and the money was found, the old man was rehired. And yet another time, the springs were cleaned, the stream was pure, the children played at its banks again, the illness was replaced by health, the swans came home, and the village came back to life. See, the life of the village depends on the health of the stream. And see, the stream is your heart, and you are its keeper. When the sticks and branches of this life pile up in your stream and is unattended, things become ill. Things become contaminated. Things become brackish. Because when your stream is blocked, life becomes contaminated. And so what does asking the right questions look like? It looks like being the keeper of the stream. What does... What does guarding our heart look like? It's asking the right questions. God, what, what's blocking my stream today? God, what unseen things in my life do I need to address? God, what's causing the life that feeds my life to be choked out? This is what guarding our heart looks like, is asking these types of questions. Do you know what the definition, do you know what the, the, the adverse of contaminated is? What the, what the difference between contaminated is or the opposite is? The opposite of contamination is to be pure. And God wants us to have a pure heart. Jesus used these, his own words in, in Matthew 5, 8. that says that God blesses those who are pure at heart, for they will see God. If we want to see God in our life, if we want to experience God in our life, if we want to experience the blessings of life, if we experience the peace of a relationship with Jesus, we have to have a pure heart. See, it's hard to see God when your heart's clouded with greed. It makes it difficult to be generous. See, when your heart is clouded with enviness, it's, it's hard to have gratitude. When your heart is covered with lust or any type of sexual sin, it's hard for you to believe that an intimate relationship with God could be fulfilling. When your heart is filled with hate, it's hard to love other people. When your heart is filled with bitterness, it's hard to see peace in your relationships. See, with God's help, we can see what's inside of our heart. We have to be the keeper of the stream. Allowing the Holy Spirit to search your heart and point out any offense and showing you the branches of the unseen things of your life. When you feel yourself getting angry, it's not the guy that cut you off. What is that? What's that anger that's right here? When your kids are, get bad grades and you get angry because you just want the best for them and you feel disappointment and then you feel rage and you just, it's not them. What's that inside of you? That ultimate, that chasing those relationships and, and, and trying the next date, the next girl, the next guy, the next thing. That's not them. What's that? God, search me. What's this branch? And then be, have the courage to ask him to pull it out. I don't know about you, but have you ever had a blockage, a sewer blockage in your home and or experienced that? It's foul. It's dirty work. It's awful. It stinks. No one wants to go and clean the toilet. No one wants to be that problem sorrow. And Jesus says, hey, you need to fix that stinky part of your life. I don't want to touch it. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, he allows us to touch it. 
And for me, I want to invite you to do something that I've been practicing for a little while now. And it's how I help keep my stream. Because see, this is intense work. It's difficult work. But when I invite God into this moment, in an intentional way, I believe that he shows up. And I believe that he helps me to remember three things about my heart. As a follower of Jesus, I believe he's given me a new heart. But I also believe that he wants me to keep it clean. He wants me to help pull out the unseen things of my heart. And so I want to talk to you about something. And it's a practice that I have been doing for a little while. And I'm a little... I'm a little uh, anxious about telling it with you guys because it's, so, it's a little different, but it's a breathing practice that I've been trying. A spiritual director in my life has given this to me, and it's, it's been a gift, and it's taken me a little time to get momentum with it. And it might seem weird the first time or the third time or the tenth time you do it, but I believe if you do this, it, it, it's going to be bare fruit in your life. And so in the Old Testament, God tells us his name. God tells us who, is, what, who he really is. God says, my name is Yahweh. I am. And see, my, the, the spiritual director in my life, he told me about this prayer, and it's giving God his breath back. See, in Genesis, God breathes life into man. God creates everything, but he only puts his breath into man. And so I believe when we take moments in our life to stop and give God his breath back, he can do a miracle work in our life. And so what I do is I pray God's name back to him in a pattern that is, that is within his name. So when you say his name, like they did in Hebrew, it was Yahweh. So it's three breaths in and six breaths out. It is. I invite you right now to do that. Take three deep breaths, deep moment of breath, and then exhale. Psychology and science, scientists would tell us that we don't even breathe like we're supposed to. We run at a pace that's so fast We don't even know what it feels like to relax, to have a momentary moment of peace. But see, when we breathe that way, chemically in our brain, it changes what's going on in the inside. We feel safe. We feel vulnerable. It allows the front part of our brain to open up where we can have critical thinking, where we can have imaginary thinking. The part of our brain that opens up when we breathe like that is where dreams come from. It's where hopes come from. It's where where deep thought comes from. When is the last time you sat in front of God with your hands open, giving him his breath back and saying, God, you've given me a new heart. I know for me, there's many times I don't feel new. In Ezekiel 36, 26, it says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove the stony heart and give you a heart of flesh. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to believe this. You need to believe that no matter what situation comes, your heart is new. The lie is, is that you're not different. The lie is that you've never changed. The lie is, is that you are the same that you were before you met Jesus. It's a lie. God, I'm new. I'm not the same. You've given me a heart. So the first thing God does is he gives you a heart, a new heart. And this thing, I believe the second thing you need to pray is that God is building your heart. In Psalm 51.10, it says, Creating me a new heart, O Lord. Renew a right spirit in me. Create in me. That sounds like a process. That sounds like God's building something. That sounds like God's doing something. I don't know about you, but me and Karen, my wife and I, were moving into a new house, and we bought so many new things off of Amazon, I can't believe it. We bought so many things off of Ikea. You know what every new thing comes with? Instructions. 
And when I don't know how to use it, it's not the manufacturer's fault. It's mine because I didn't look. God has given us a blueprint for that new heart that he's given us. It is our responsibility as keepers of our own heart to learn to use the new heart he's given us. God, you want me to be generous? Teach me how. God, you want me to be patient? Teach me how. God, you said that love doesn't boast. Teach me how to be humble. God, God gives us a new heart. He builds our heart. And the last thing he does is you're giving his breath back. And this is something that I would love for you to pray over yourself. It's in Hebrews 10, 2, 2. Hebrews 10, 22. And I love Pastor Jason has, has taught us this practice of rewriting our Bible and making it personal. Let us, no nah, man, this one's for me. God, let me draw near to you with a true heart, full of assurance of faith with a heart sprinkled clean from evil conscience, my body washed with pure water. When is the last time you've taken your hands, opened up defenseless to God? God, renew my spirit. God, remind me the mighty work that you've done in me. God, remind me of this new heart you've given me. Remind me of this life that you're building in me and felt a holy reassurance the pace of life that we run at doesn't allow us that the world tells you to go so fast to keep moving, put your head down, keep grinding but when we take moments and say God I need reassurance of what you're doing in my life I believe that he will show up he will show up and he will point out those branches God My family, my family's family, get this out of me. I want to be in your family. I want to have a new family. God, this offense, this bitterness, I don't want it no more. Get it out of me. When you open up from a pure heart and a space and ask God to come in and say, remove this from me, he'll do it. He'll do it. It's going to take some time. And know this, it's unseen. No one's going to see you do it. They'll know when you aren't. They'll know when you've, you've put priorities over top of anything. But no, one, no one's going to see you keep your string. No one's going to know how hard it is. No one's going to know how dirty it is. No one how bad it's going to stink and you don't want to do it. God's going to be there though. He'll show up and he'll do it. It's not going to happen overnight. But when you take time, give God his breath. God, do this work in me. Build me, Father. Reassure me that you've given me a new heart. I believe he'll show up. Let's pray. God, I'm just thankful for this opportunity. God, I'm thankful for a, a, a clean heart in front of you, a pure heart. God, and I'm also thankful for a practice and a process the God that you haven't left me. God, that you are using this moment in a mighty way to pull these things out of me. God, remove the branches. Remove the unpure things that I may become pure in your sight through the power of Jesus. See, right now, I don't know where people are in the room. Maybe you've never heard the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never knew that God sent a spotless lamb to come into your place. 
The Bible says that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that those that believe in him would not perish, but they would have everlasting life. And so I'm going to give an opportunity today for someone to have a miracle happen. And that that is what happens in Ezekiel 36, 26, that God remove your old heart and give you a new heart. But also in a moment, our prayer team is going to come down front. People that believe the word of God, people that pray over this church, that pray for you constantly and believe the hard work of removing branches and keeping your, your stream clean is possible. And they want to pray and agree with you about the unseen things, about the dirty things, about the hard things. And believe God's Holy Spirit will clean you and give you a pure heart and help you keep your stream pure. And so right now, while no one's looking around and everyone in, in the auditorium and people on, watching online are just taking a moment, maybe take that deep breath. Exhale and ask God to search you. Am I far away from God? Do I not know you? Am I not following you? I'm not going to call you down front. I'm not going to embarrass you. But I just want to give you an opportunity to respond with the Holy Spirit's doing in your heart already. If that's you, I know one's looking around just between me and you and the Holy Spirit. If you're ready today to commit your life to Jesus and say, I'm ready for you to take control. I don't want another season of religion in my life. I don't want more rules. I want a true relationship with Jesus. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, yes, that's me. I'm ready to commit my life to Jesus today. I'm ready to say, yes, that's me. That's me. Awesome. Would everybody in the room go ahead and and stand up with me? I want people in the room and online that are living a life committed to Jesus to say a prayer with me, to give boldness and confidence for the people today that are committing their life to Jesus. Maybe it's for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time, but I want you to say this prayer with me. Say, dear Jesus, I am a sinner. Please save me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I give you my life. I give you control. The next time I fall, help me to get up, run to you, not away from you. In Jesus' name, amen.